Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Jamie Ducharme talking about vaping and the rise of the vaping industry. And specifically, we're going to be talking a lot about Juul, little vaporizers that look like flash drives that took the teenage world by storm and how they slipped past FDA scrutiny. We're going to be examining the research on vaping to really discover what's the truth. How dangerous is this stuff? Is this really a safe alternative to smoking? Is it harmless like a cup of coffee? Or is it something that we should be worried about? Jamie is a journalist at Time Magazine, where she covers health, science, and medicine. She frequently writes articles about vaping for Time, and she's the author of the book, Big Vape, The Incendiary Rise of Jewel. Really looking forward to speaking with Jamie today about her work and about the vaping industry. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You got this whole book on Juul and the vaping industry, the, the really the rise of e-cigarettes. And I wonder what inspired you to do this research and to write this. Yeah. So in my day job, I am a health and science reporter at Time Magazine. And around, I want to say 2018, we started to notice that a lot of our readers were really interested in vaping and specifically Juul. And there was a ton of search interest, like on Google, we were just hearing a lot about it. So I just did a very, very basic story about what Juul is essentially and what vaping is. And that story blew up. So many people read it. So many people wrote to me about it. And so after that, I kind of like kept on the story. I found it pretty interesting and it just sort of grew to a point where it became more than a health story. I was interested in like the people behind the company and how the company got as big as it did and how it interplayed with the cigarette industry. Um, so yeah, I decided to just turn it all into a book. What was that original article? It was just about what a jewel is? Yeah, I honestly think the title was something like, what is jeweling? <laughs> like, what is jeweling and what should you know about it? It was incredibly basic and straightforward and then just kind of snowballed. Oh, but I am curious, what should we know about it? So Juul is an e-cigarette. As a category, e-cigarettes are just what they sound like, sort of an electronic version of a regular combustible cigarette. They heat up a fluid that contains nicotine and make it into an aerosol that you can inhale. So there's no combustion, nothing's lit on fire. And the idea is that this is less dangerous than smoking, um, but still delivers nicotine. So intended as a way for adults to stop smoking cigarettes. But as you know, and the reason I'm on a podcast called Talking to Teens, it ended up becoming very popular also with people who did not already smoke, including underage users. 
especially maybe three, four years ago now, it really blew up among high school and middle school students. Just incredibly popular, something like a third of teenagers vaped or almost a third of teenagers vaped in 2019. So it's just this really interesting story of a product that was meant to do something good and, and be good for public health, really spiraling in a way that people did not expect. You go right, right back to the beginning of the whole story and this project at Stanford, where these two dudes put together this idea for creating this product as kind of part of this project or their thesis, I guess. And but it's interesting because you say that partway through their presentation, asked the question, what if smoking were safe? And they say, our goal was to basically create a whole new experience for people that retains the positive aspects of smoking the ritual and everything, but that makes it as healthy and socially acceptable as possible. So even kind of from the beginning, it seems like it, that was framed as trying to help people quit smoking, but that maybe there was more to it than that. And um, it was really a different version of smoking and whole new experience that retains the positive aspects of smoking, but makes it as healthy and socially acceptable as possible. Yeah. One of the things I like to point out is that the two founders of Juul, um, James Monsies and Adam Bowen, they were both former smokers and they made Juul not because they hated smoking, but because they liked it. I mean, they liked to smoke and they were just smart enough to realize that if they kept smoking, it would kill them. So the Juul was really something meant to scratch that itch. Like it, it is not founded by people who hate the tobacco industry. It's just founded by people who wanted a way to keep a habit that they actually did enjoy, but didn't want to die from. And they said that actually that was a lot of the smokers they talked to expressed those kind of sentiments that, well, they didn't necessarily want to not smoke. They just wanted to not die and exactly. not be bad for them. Exactly. They, um, they included a video, like videos from their classmates at Stanford and their thesis presentation when they made the prototype that went on to become Juul. And it was really interesting to listen to people describe kind of lovingly their relationship mm. to smoking and, and how passionately they felt about it. But obviously these are smart people there at Stanford. Like they all knew that they shouldn't be smoking, um, but they enjoyed it. And that was the, the void, I guess, that Jewel ended up filling for some people. Part of what they did early on in their company was trying to chip away at the stigma around nicotine. What do you mean by that? And, and how do they do that? Nicotine is incredibly stigmatized in the U.S., I think, because in some ways, because public health has been so successful on the issue of smoking in, in this country. Like yeah. kids today grow up knowing that cigarettes are terrible for them. They know that you shouldn't smoke. It's right. actually to the point that a lot of teenagers I've interviewed in the course of my reporting have said, like, I would never smoke. It's disgusting. It's bad for you. It's gross. Yeah. No one does it. And the argument within the vaping community or within the e-cigarette industry is yes, cigarettes are bad for you and gross and you shouldn't use them, but the nicotine in them is not the problem. It's, it's the combustion process of lighting a cigarette on fire. That's actually bad for you. So what Juul and other companies in the space have tried to do is argue that it's not inherently bad to use nicotine. You just should do it in a smarter and safer way. And that they argue that is where Juul fits into the equation. What's the research on nicotine like? Is that true? 
It is and it's not, I would say. It is okay. objectively true that nicotine is not the thing in a cigarette that gives you cancer. Um, right. That is something that's very closely tied to the combustion process. But I would argue, and, and many researchers would argue, that addiction unto itself is a health problem. I mean, it's you, not great. You, yeah. you don't, yeah, it's not great. You don't want to be dependent on any substance, whether it's anything really. And nicotine is addictive like that. I don't think is really up for debate at this point. Um, and there is some research to suggest that it can be bad um, for brain development among younger people, specifically people under 25 whose brains are still developing. There's some research to suggest it can affect, you know, some aspects of, of brain maturation. So I think it's an interesting point on one level, because it is true that there are safer and less safe ways to consume nicotine. But it's also a bit of an oversimplification, I would say, to say that nicotine is totally harmless because there's always going to be that addictive element to it. Even in terms of the safer and not safer ways to consume nicotine, it seemed like you were pointing out some sort of conflicting evidence in terms of that. Like some people saying, oh, jewels seem like pretty on the safe end of the spectrum and others saying that they don't. What does that look like? Yeah, there is an incredibly fierce debate within the public health world about sure. how useful e-cigarettes are. There are some experts who, just like you said, would put them pretty close to cigarettes on the spectrum of dangerous things you can consume. And there are other people who would put them much lower on that risk continuum. I think the way I think about it is, obviously, if your choice is breathing fresh, clean air into your lungs or inhaling the vapor from an e-cigarette, hundred times out of a hundred, you should choose fresh, clean air. Right. But if you are smoking a cigarette, which is one of the most dangerous consumer products ever sold, an e-cigarette probably is better for you than that. So to me, there's no credible argument for why somebody who does not already use a tobacco product should start vaping. But I do think there's an argument to be made that if you are currently smoking, at least on a short-term basis, switching to an e-cigarette is better for you or less bad for you, I guess I should say. Um, yeah. You know, there, there have been some studies that show that vaping does damage your lungs, but less than smoking. And so that to me is, is the linchpin. Like if you are smoking, you could see improvement. If you are not, of course, it's going to be worse for, me, worse for you than not using any tobacco product. There's some interesting stuff in here from Adam's co-chemist, and it's talking about kind of even early on when they were developing the product, they started to get worried about the potential for addiction because unlike traditional cigarettes have kind of a built-in off switch, they burn out. You, know, you smoke one of them and then it goes out, whereas the Juul doesn't have that. It can last for 200 puffs and deliver about as much nicotine as an entire pack of cigarettes really conveniently. And so they started to get worried that maybe they were making it too easy to consume that could have negative repercussions. Early e-cigarettes by and large, people did not like. And the reason for that is because the kind of nicotine that they had to use in the liquids that they used was very harsh. It hurt your throat. It tasted gross. It was not fun to inhale. And then Juul comes along and they have this really sophisticated chemistry and formula to it specifically designed to give you like a little bit of a, of a kick, sort of similar to what you get smoking a cigarette, but nowhere close to as harsh and as disgusting as the earlier models had been. 
And so this was in some ways, you know, a selling point for the product that it was much better to use, but some of the people on the inside developing it did have concerns that it was too easy to use because it does contain quite a lot of nicotine. And the fact that you can just drag on it all day long without having coughing fits and, and feeling disgusting is a bit of a concern that you're going to drive people to just consume way more nicotine than they even perhaps know that they're consuming or want to be consuming. Kind of makes me think of like energy drinks. Yeah. Compared to drinking coffee, uh, you like you can drink one energy drink. It's like four cups of coffee in one can. It tastes like fruit and it's delicious. <laughs> exactly. I feel like everyone's had that moment where you realize you've gone too far with coffee or caffeine and you're like jittery and shaking and you didn't mean yeah. to get to that point, but you're there. And I think a lot of people experience something similar with Juul because it, it's not harsh, but it is really strong. And so all of a sudden yeah. you're like, wow, I've consumed a lot of nicotine in one sitting. Yeah, it's just like too easy. And it tastes like fruit flavor. Not anymore, but once upon okay. a time. Yeah, now they can't sell any fruit flavors. So you said they originally had four flavors. Correct. They did. They When they launched, they had mango, creme brulee, fruit, and mint. And then over the years, the FDA has regulated the industry much more closely. And now they cannot sell any flavors except menthol and tobacco. What's interesting was as they started to market the product, the marketing didn't seem to be sort of in line with what their mission of um, helping people to quit smoking, because if they were really looking at the demographic of people who were smokers and wanted to quit, that would be a middle-aged adult from a fairly low socioeconomic class, often a person of color, but they were really appealing much more to millennials, like targeting influencers and really trying to make it seem trendy and cool. So it seems like there's kind of a disconnect or something. Yeah. Jewel launched in 2015 with a campaign called Vaporized. And okay. this campaign was, you know, bright colors, like young, fashionable models dancing around with jewels in their hands. Like if you see these ads, they look very much like the way you would expect any startup to kind of market like a cool, trendy tech product to millennials. Yeah. And in many of these ads, they didn't even disclose, or at least not in, in large type, it was in kind of fine print at the bottom, that this was a product that even included nicotine. Wow. So a lot of people did not realize that's what they were seeing ads for in the beginning. And I think as soon as that campaign came out, people in the tobacco control world were nervous um, because it clearly looked like this was a brand that wanted to advertise to young people. And as we talked about before, that wasn't really who was smoking. Like that wasn't the, the population that could benefit from this product. So right from the moment they launched in the year 2015, people were wary of this company. And then as it did end up taking off among teenagers, I think a lot of those fears sort of came to pass. You have like some quotes in the book from people who even just thought that they were inhaling flavored water or something. Like, yes. You know, it's just not even an awareness of really what the product even is. Yeah. There was a famous study done somewhere around the time that Juul launched, maybe a couple of years after, and just a yeah. shocking percentage of the teenagers surveyed for this study had no idea that e-cigarettes contained nicotine. They thought that they were just inhaling flavored water vapor. And I've heard that from so many families of, you know, how their child ended up getting addicted was they did not know. I mean, they didn't have any clue what they were using. 
Oh, so don't they have to like mark that now on the box or on the product somehow? It says yeah, they do. Nicotine warning. Yeah, if you buy a pack of Jewel Pods now, there's like a huge sticker that takes up about a third of the box. It says warning, nicotine is a dangerous chemical, you know, all of that stuff. But when they first launched, that did not have to be on the packaging. And a lot of people were caught unaware. So is that changing the way that it's spread or the spread of it now that it's marked so clearly? You mean among teenagers? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, for a few reasons, it does seem that um, fewer teenagers are vaping and specifically using Juul now than they used to. Yeah. Um, like I said, in 2019, it was something like 27% of high school students had vaped in the last month, um, which was far, far higher than cigarettes or cigars or any other tobacco product. And now that number is down closer to 10%, which is a pretty huge drop in the course of only a few years. I think part of that is there's more awareness of how addictive these products can be. And a lot of young people, you know, for obvious reason, don't want to get addicted. The pandemic, I think, has played a part just since kids haven't been at school. They maybe haven't been going to parties in the same way. And so the access wasn't quite there. Yeah. And then I think also the FDA has really cracked down on this industry, banning flavors and taking some products off the market. And so I think the combination of those factors um, has led to a decrease. Sounds like when it first came out, it was really, really easy to get for teenagers. Yeah, for sure. When when Jewel first launched, I mean, they did have an age verification platform that they used on their website, but I spoke to a bunch of teenagers who basically said it was not hard to find a way around it. Um, yeah, and it's not all Jules' fault, like to their credit, um, people would buy in bulk and then resell on eBay and like Facebook marketplace yeah. and all these places where like Jewel would try to take those posts down, but there's only so much they can do. Yeah. One scam that I heard uh, was very popular is a teenager would somehow get their hands on a Jewel and they would send a replacement request to the company. And all they had to do was send them the serial number of the product they already had and say, you know this broke or or whatever i need a replacement and jewel would kind of with no questions asked just send them a new one so now they have two and they would sell the extra and like this scam would just <laughs> keep piling up <laughs> and now i do think the company has gotten some of this under control but in those first few years like teenagers are smart they're gonna yeah. if they want something they're gonna find a way to get it and there are all kinds of ways that they found some information here about how it was like some things people were posting on Twitter at the time and how much it was infiltrating teenagers and sort of becoming part of teenage culture or like such a thing for kids to do in the bathroom at school or kind of like a fun thing to hide from adults. Yeah, the jewel looks just like a flash drive. If you've ever seen one, it's like this little metallic stick. It fits in your pocket. It's super sleek and discreet. It actually looked so much like a flash drive that especially in the beginning, teachers didn't know what it was. They thought kids just had like USB sticks in class. 
And by the time it started to get really, really popular, at least one school that I found in my research was having such a difficult time differentiating between a legitimate flash drive and a jewel that they just banned flash drives at school. Like they said, you can't use them because we don't know if it's a jewel or not. So that was crazy. Another one I heard is one school had such a problem with vaping in the bathroom that they actually took the stall doors off so that they would know who was in there vaping. (sighs) Like it, it truly got wild. Schools were just overrun with kids juuling. Thankfully, then they started a campaign to go into schools and educate kids about um, about e-cigarettes. Yeah, this I think is the craziest chapter in the book or when people read it, this is the one that really gets them and surprises them that it ever happened. But the way it went down is around 2018, Jewel was starting to become aware that teen vaping was a big problem. They were hearing that schools were having trouble with it and they decided that it would be a good idea to hire two former educators to make an anti-vaping curriculum that they would then pay schools to teach to students and somebody selected by Jewel would come in and teach the program in some cases. So essentially you have the company that not single-handedly, but to a large degree is fueling the the youth vaping issue, trying to position themselves as the one who would solve the problem and actually going into schools to do that. And that's kind of insane on its own, but it's even more so if you know anything about tobacco industry history, because tobacco companies were famous for doing exactly this. Mm. And there were numerous studies that show it doesn't work it's often counterproductive, you know, students like see the branding associated with these programs. Yeah. Yeah. They become more exposed to the brand and familiar with it. Exactly. Oh yeah. They're pretty good. They're coming in and helping with school. Exactly. So it, it just presents a whole slew of conflict of interest issues and it got shut down pretty quickly at Jewel, but the fact that they even did this program as recently as a few years ago was, was somewhat baffling to me. It was like they're giving away $10,000, no strings attached grants to school districts yes. to uh, develop the programs. And so many people who I interviewed, or at least one very prominent tobacco control expert, had actually spoken to Jewel and told them not to do this, said it was a bad idea, you know, sent them studies about tobacco companies that had done this, and they just went ahead and did it anyway. We're going to go for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to try. We're here today with Jamie Ducharme talking about juuling and the research on the vaping industry, and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. I think as a consumer, you just assume that if something is on a store shelf and you can buy it, that it's gone through very rigorous testing. Ah, And that's actually not the case. I mean, a company like Juul is big enough that they have manufacturing and quality standards and all of that. But I mean, to this day, they don't have authorization from the FDA. The FDA is making that decision as we speak, like they could make that announcement any day now. And I don't think people realize that. Altria, which is the parent company of the company that makes Marlboro cigarettes, among other brands, owns 35% of Juul. They paid almost $13 billion for that stake in the company. So that shocked a lot of people, got a lot of people calling them Big Tobacco 2.0 and things along those lines. And I don't think they've ever really recovered from that perception. I think, 
you know, no matter what they do and how successful they are, I think people can always point back to that relationship with Altria yeah. as evidence that they perhaps have ulterior motives. One thing that can be very effective is kind of impressing upon teenagers the ways that companies market their products and how some of that does seem to be targeted to younger people. It can be very effective to kind of point out ways, I don't want to say that teenagers are being used, but sort of like the history of, of tobacco companies advertising to young people and why they wanted younger people as their customers and how that legacy at least in appearance, kind of continued with the vaping industry. That can be an effective way in, I've heard. And also just teenagers today are, for the most part, very conscious of mental health and physical health and environmental health. And vaping is kind of bad for all three of those things. And those can be good entry points as well. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today you get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.